All right, 2 Kings chapter 4. We're going to read quite a few verses. I'm going to go to the, the heart of another story of another miracle performed by Elisha. Now we're just going to pick it up at verse 13. And um, here in this particular verse, Elisha has been going through a particular town. A woman and her husband, who, who were uh, a couple of, uh, with means, coupled with a lot of money, uh, the woman noticed that Elisha was a man of God. So she built a room for him, and every time he would go through, t through town, she would feed him and house him. Now, Elisha is touched by this, and he says to his servant, go find out what she needs. I want to bless her. So we're going to pick it up at verse 13. And he said to him, say now to her, look, you have been concerned for us with all this care. What can I do for you? Do you want me to speak on your behalf to the king or the commander of the army? She answered, not really. I dwell among my own people. Verse 14, so he said, what then is it uh, to be done for her? And Gehazi answered, actually, she has no son, and her husband is old. So he said, call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the doorway. Then he said, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. And she said, no, my Lord, man of God, do not lie to your maidservant. Now, she wasn't being disrespectful. She was saying, this is too good to be true. Here's what she was saying. This is the desire of my heart. So it was just a huge promise. Now, verse 17. But the woman conceived and bore a son when the appointed time had come of which Elisha had told her. And the child grew. Now look what happened. It happened one day that he went out to his father, to the reapers, out in the field. And he said to his father all of a sudden, my head, my head. So he said to a servant, carry him to his mother. When he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her knees till noon and then died. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, shut the door upon him, and went out. She called her husband and said, Please send me one of the young men and one of the donkeys, that I may run to the man of God and come back. Well, apparently the husband didn't even know what was going on, didn't know that the boy had died. So he said, Why are you going to him today? It's neither the new moon nor the Sabbath. Look what she said. It is well. It is well. Now, she sat on a donkey, said to her servant, drive and go forward. I love that verse. Go forward. Do not slacken the pace for me unless I tell you. And so she departed and went to the man of God at Mount Carmel. So it was when the man of God saw her afar off that he said to his servant Gehazi, look, the Shunammite woman, Please run now to meet her and say to her, is, is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with the child? Gehazi ran to her, and here she goes again. It is well. It is well. Now when she came to the man of God at the hill, she caught him by the feet. But Gehazi came near to push her away. But the man of God said, let her alone, for she, her soul is in deep distress. And the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me what the problem is. So she said to him, did I ask a son of my Lord? Did I not say, do not deceive me? Notice what she did not say. She didn't say he's dead. She's, she's basically uh, laying hold of the promise of God. 
Then he said to Gehazi, get yourself ready and take my staff in your hand and be on your way. If you meet anybody, do not greet him. If anyone greets you, don't answer him, but lay my staff on the face of the child. The mother of the child said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So he arose and followed her. Now Gehazi went on ahead of him, laid the staff on the face of the child, but there was neither uh, voice nor hearing. Therefore he went back to meet him and told him, saying, the child has not awakened. The moral of that story is don't ever send your staff to do what you ought to do. Some of you will get that tomorrow. When Elisha came into the house, there was the child lying on his bed. He went in, therefore, now this is powerful stuff here, y'all. He went in, therefore, shut the door behind the two of them and prayed to the Lord. And he went up and lay on the child, put his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes, his hands on his hands. And he stretched himself out on the child, and the flesh of the child became warm, but he was not yet revived. He returned and walked back and forth in the house and again went up and stretched himself out uh, on him, then the child sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. And he called Gehazi, said, call the Shunammite woman. So he called her. And when she came in to him, he said, pick up your son. Isn't it interesting how many times Elisha told somebody to pick something up after the miracle happened with the axe head? He said, pick it up. And now this child, pick him up. So she went in, fell at his feet, bowed to the ground, picked up her son, and went out. Lord, thank you for your word. Bless it to our hearts today in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to your neighbors and say, that story's powerful enough to just go home now. That's a powerful story. I love these stories of the dynamic duo, Elijah and Elisha. Remember, I've been sharing with you that Elisha is the prophet of restoration. And this is a beautiful picture of a restoration. The healing of this child, the revival of this child was incremental. It happened in stages. It happened in steps. And that's exactly how restoration takes place. Over time, it's incremental. It happens in steps. Now, first of all, we see a woman, a Shunammite woman, receiving her heart's desire. Verse 13 tells us, the first one we read, that because she took care of the man of God, you know, you can't make room for the man of God without God making room for you. She noticed, she had discernment, this woman, that every day, or that often, this man that was passing by the house was a man of God. And so she made room for him. Literally, she built a small room, a small upper room. Verse 10 tells us she made room for the man of God, began to minister to the man of God to the point that he said to her, what can I do for you? What do you want? You've ministered to me. You know, folks, you can't minister to Jesus without Jesus saying to you, what can I do for you? What can I do for you? Do you know how many times Jesus in the Gospels said that very statement? What do you want me to do for you? So I think one of the things that really leaps out about this story, the whole thing happened because she made room for the man of God. I think of Jesus when he was born, it says there was no room for him in the inn. But when you make room for God, he's going to make room for you and he's going to bless you. And you know what he's going to do? He's going to give you your heart's desire. Her heart's desire was a child. This is something she had never been able to have. That was a real reproach to women in that day. So he said, you will have a child. You will bear a son. And of course she did. 
and a number of years went by. And just moving right along through the story, we come to the point where the, the little boy is out in the field with his dad. We don't know what it was that happened, but probably a sunstroke. And all of a sudden, he began to complain about his head, is sent to the mother, and her blessing, her blessing from God died in her arms. Now, I'm going to tell you something, folks. When God blesses you, we need to understand there is a thief that wants to take that blessing. Jesus said in John 10, verse 10, he said, the thief only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And anytime God blesses you, listen, you need to watch over it, pray over it, hold on to it, exercise faith over it, because there is a thief who wants to steal the blessing of God on your life. Now, what I love about this woman is when the boy died, she immediately became proactive in how she dealt with the thief trying to steal her blessing. Listen, he wants your money, he wants your finances, he wants your health, he wants relationships that God has given you. The thief only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And you know what? A lot of whether or not we recover it depends on our response to what he does. Now this woman, she didn't sit down and say, well, it's over with, my son has died, how has this happened? She didn't go into woe is me, she didn't go into negative, she didn't go into complaining, she didn't go into whining. She immediately became proactive. And I'm going to share with you four things I picked out of her response that carried her through into recovering what the devil tried to steal. How many of you have got something in your life that you believe it's the will of God you recover that the enemy has stolen? Listen, if we would just have this woman's mentality, she wasn't even in the New Testament, and I can just feel her faith operating. She's basically saying, the thief is not going to get my son. The thief is not going to get my blessing. I'm going to get my blessing back. He is not going to have it. I love this about this woman. The first thing she did, she determined to get to Elisha. Verse 24 says, I love this. She got a servant, got a donkey saddled up, and she said, go forward. Don't stop. Don't stop the pace. Don't slow down. I am going to get to the man of God. Listen, folks, when the thief comes to steal, it matters who you go to. It matters who you go to. Isn't it amazing how we'll turn to everybody but God when the thief has stolen from us? This woman said, I'm going straight to the man of God who was a type of Christ. Elisha was a type of Christ. So let's just apply this to us. When the enemy steals from us, here's what you do. You go forward. You get your eyes on Jesus. You don't stop the pace. You don't slow down. You do whatever you got to do to get to him because the one that blessed you with the blessing in the first place is the one that will empower you to get it back. And she knew that. She determined. Everybody say with me, determined. I mean, I just, I just sense her focus. Her eyes were peeled on Mount Carmel where she knew Elisha was. She didn't let anything stop her. She didn't let anything distract her. She was determined to get to Elisha. I love that about this woman. The second thing she did, she kept a positive confession. She kept a positive confession. Now, I think you can go too far with confession stuff. I really do. I don't think that everything you say, you create, and so on and so forth, I think you can take it to an extreme. But there is one thing I do know that when the enemy steals from you, it is crucial what you say. 
because she could have said, it's over. She could have said, he's as dead as dead can be. She could have said, there's no more hope. But no, two times, her, by her husband and by Gehazi, when she was asked how things were or what the problem was, she said, it is well. She had faith. I, you know, I think we ought to all say that just once because you know what? It is well. It is ultimately well. Now here she was looking at a tragedy, looking at the loss of the dearest thing to her heart. But she said, it is well. It is well. At the count of three, say it with me. Let's say it right to the devil. Are you ready? One, two, three. It is well. Let's try it again. It is well. One more time. It is well. Give the Lord a hand because that's true. It is well. She kept her confession so strong, the husband didn't even know that he died. Gehazi thought everything was fine because she said it is well. She was looking with the eye of faith at the problem. She believed what faith told her would be instead of what was. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence of what is not yet seen, but I love yet. Not yet, but it will be. It may not appear yet in time and space, but it will. God has sent the answer from heaven. It will arrive. Not yet seen. And so with faith, she was saying, it is well. The woman saw this little boy raised from the dead. So she kept a positive confession. The next thing she did, she stood on the promises of God. She stood on the promise. In verse 28, when she says to Elisha, did I not say, do not deceive me? Now, when I first read that, I thought, well, she was getting a little sassy with the prophet of God. Uh-uh, she was not. Here's what she was saying. She was saying, I believe the promise you gave me, and I do not receive what I see. I believe the promise you gave me. She was standing on the promise of God. I don't know where she got this faith. Maybe she got it with Elisha coming by and visiting and, and housing him and listening to him and watching him. Maybe her faith grew that way. But this woman has some serious faith, real serious faith. She stood on the promise. You promised me. That's all she needed to say to him. She didn't say he's dead. She didn't say the little child has been stolen. She just said, you promised me a child, and that's it. I'm standing on the promises of God. This was holy boldness. This was holy boldness. You know, folks, God doesn't mind if we go right up to him when we've been robbed by the enemy of our soul and quote to him his promises to us. He doesn't mind. Matter of fact, it says he watches over his word to perform it. When he gives you a promise, there's nothing wrong with going to him when things get rough, when things get desperate, when things are in trouble, and just quoting to him the promises he's given us. What promises has God given you? Financial provision, a job, health, the healing of a relationship. What promise has God given you? He does not mind you boldly going to him when the enemy is attacking and saying, here's what you promised me. You promised me. God says, you're right. And that's what Elisha said. You're right. Let's go. And then I noticed that 
A fourth thing she did, she practiced importunity. Now that's a real fancy word. Let me tell you what it means. Shameless persistence. Because she said to the prophet of God in verse 30, she said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I'm not leaving you. I'm not getting away from you. Now Elisha understood that because he was the same way towards Elijah. And that's how he got his anointing. By saying, I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to take my eyes off of you. This woman was shamelessly persisting. You know, in Luke 18, starting at verse 1, I believe, you've got the story of, of the importunate widow. And it's a parable, and Jesus told it. And he said there was a widow who was in a certain city, and she went to a judge, an unjust judge, and said to him, deliver me from my accusers. Deliver me from those who are troubling me. And as the parable goes on, you find that uh, the woman kept on wearying the judge with her request until finally Jesus in the parable said that the judge said, I'm going to give her what she wants lest she just wear me down by continually coming to me. And then Jesus said, that's the way you ought to be with God. Amen. Shamelessly persist. She said, I'm not ashamed to say I'm not leaving you. I'm going to stay right here until my son is raised from the dead. I am not going to give up, not going to quit, not going to walk away. I'm not going to just ask you once. You know, Jesus taught us, ask and keep on asking, seek and keep on seeking, knock and keep on knocking. What was he saying? I don't mind if you come to me over and over again. I've heard people say, it's not a faith to ask more than once. Oh no, let me tell you what faith will do. It'll make you ask over and over again. Faith will make you ask over and over again until you get what you're requesting. She said, I'm not leaving you. I'm going to bug you. I'm going to hound you. I'm going to be here. I'm not going to be out of your sight. I'm not going to leave you alone until my blessing is given back to me. Come on, everybody. What are you believing God for? Ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. Now, Elisha, as a type of Christ, responded. As a matter of fact, when I see the interplay between this woman and Elisha, it reminds me of Jesus and the church and how we pray and how we obtain things and how we get back what the enemy stole. Elisha responded as a type of Christ, and here's what he did. He ordered his staff to be placed on the child's face. Now, I got to studying about the staff, and here's what I found. The staff was a symbol of authority. Now, I want you to listen to me, church. The staff was a symbol of authority. When something is dead, when something looks hopeless, when something is desperate, God will first always address it with his authority. He sent his authority ahead of him. When that staff was laid on that child's face, he was pronouncing the authority of God over this situation. And that's why Jesus said, watch this now, in my name. What does it do when you use his name? It's authority. The devil's not afraid of your name. He's not afraid of your brains. He's not afraid of your giftedness. He is afraid of the name of Jesus because the name of Jesus is authority. And that's the only thing he understands is the name because behind that name is the blood. Behind that name is the word. And so when you're faced with a desperate, hopeless, dead situation, the first thing you do is say in the name. And you send the authority of God ahead of you. Is anybody hearing me today? 
I mean, you've got to put authority over it. In my name they will cast out devils. They will lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. In my name. Why his name? Because it is authority. It's authority. Sickness understands that authority. Financial lack understands that authority. Demons understand that authority. In my name they shall cast out devils. So Elisha was saying, I'm coming but I'm sending my authority ahead of me and I'm going to pronounce the authority and the will of God over this tragedy. Folks, it's amazing. Stand in the middle of your living room sometime. Let people think you're crazy. I did that to my dad once. I was having some situation, I forget, it was a long, long, long time ago. My dad's with the Lord now. But I went into the house, I was living with uh, him and my stepmother, and I didn't know anybody was there. And I went into the middle of the living room and I began to say, in the name of Jesus, Satan, I bind you. My dad wasn't a believer at this time. I got down, I got after it. I mean, I started binding every devil within 30 miles, loud as I could. And then after 5, 10, 15 minutes of this, this voice comes from way back in the house. Jeff, are you okay? You talk about wanting to dig a hole to China and just jump in. Because this was like my dad, you know, he didn't know what I was doing. But he later got saved. Maybe that was one of the reasons, because he got to be there for the overflow of that. But, you know, folks, we're not fighting against flesh and blood. We're fighting against a satanic kingdom that has declared war on us. And there's only one thing that defeats it, and that is the weaponry of God. And one of the weapons is the authority of the name. And sometimes instead of woe is me and whining and complaining when we're in a tragedy or a trial or fire or waters and floods, we need to do what he did. Send the staff, the authority, and speak the authority of God, the will of God, the purpose of God over that situation. I'm preaching better than your amen in me. Well, I don't really feel very spiritual when I do that, Pastor. I don't feel spiritual enough to do that anyway. Uh, I just don't feel, hey, whether or not it feels like it's you, do it. Do it. When you turn on a flashlight, does it cutting through the night depend on how you feel? That light's going to travel if you're depressed or if you're happy. When you say the name of Jesus, listen, it doesn't matter how you feel. That name's going to travel whether you're depressed or happy. So when he got there, he'd already pronounced authority over that situation. Now the next thing he did, I love this, he identified with the boy's plight. Verse 34, this is so powerful, he laid down across the child. He put his eyes to his eyes, his mouth to his mouth, hands to his hands. I said, Lord, what was that all about? And then it just struck me, he was identifying with the child's plight. And then it struck me that that's exactly what Jesus did for you and for me. Do you know why Jesus is so powerful? Do you know why he had the ability to redeem us? Do you know why he's the Savior, the only Savior, the one and only in the entire world? Let me tell you something. Because he became one of us and identified with the human race. Listen, he saw what we see. 
He felt what we feel, and the Bible says he tasted death for every man. What did Jesus do? He came and he died for us by identifying with our plight, yet without sin. He walked planet Earth. He saw the pain. He saw the sickness. He saw the death. And he, as it were, stretched himself out. Come on, everybody. He stretched himself out. And when he was on that cross, he was doing exactly what Elisha did. Hebrews 4.15 says, We don't have a high priest who cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. But he was in all points, in all points. Eye to eye, mouth to mouth, hands to hands. In all points, tempted like we were. Yet without sin, he identified with the human race. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For we, he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Jesus, in essence, felt our pain, put himself right where we were, and because of that, he has the authority to revive us. It is in Jesus identifying with us that we are restored. Now, the last thing that Elisha did, I love this, he stayed with him, he stayed with him, he stayed with him until he was revived. Three times he could have walked away. When he was told the staff had not done it, he could have said, well, I tried. But no, he kept on ministering to that dead boy. When he first stretched himself out over him, it did not happen. His flesh became warm, but he was not revived. This is a picture of restoration. But he stayed with him. It says he went downstairs, walked around, prayed some more, then went back up, stretched himself out over him again. You know what, folks? I got good news for you today. When God makes up his mind to restore you, he's not going to leave you. He's not going to forsake you. He's going to stay with it until the restoration is complete. I don't know what you're doing, what you're going through. It can be financial. It can be mental. It can be a heart issue. It can be a relationship. But even though we may try and fail and try and fail, there is one who does not walk away. He stays with us. You know, I got to thinking... Restoration has many stages. You're getting just a little bit warm, but you're not red hot like you used to be. You're not filled with zeal like you used to be. Don't let condemnation get a hold of you because he's going to restore you every step till the end. He's going to get you to the place where you are restored to where you originally were. And then better than that, because when God does it, he does it right. Say with me, he's going to stay with it. He's going to stay with me. When Jesus was healing that blind man, he first introduced himself to him. Then he took his hand and walked with him. And then he took him out of the town and laid his hands on his eyes. And when the man said, I only see men like trees walking, Jesus didn't say, well, you know, I tried. We'll see you later. God bless you. It's been real. Where's your faith? Uh-uh. He touched him again. It says Elisha went upstairs, stretched himself over him again. And he stayed with it until he sneezed seven times and got up from the dead. 
the dead. God's not going to leave you. God's not going to forsake you. He's not going to let you down. He's not going to walk away when the restoration is just half complete, a quarter complete, mostly done. No, no. He's going to stay with you until you are whole and sound and where you ought to be in God. He is a restorer. And Elisha is a picture of Jesus Christ and his ministry. The woman, determined to get to Elisha, kept a positive confession, stood on the promises of God, and practiced shameless persistence. And what did he do? He sent his authority to the situation. He identified with the boy's plight, and he stayed till the end. Now, I don't know what you need to be restored today. I don't know what needs restoration in your life, but something does, because we are all broken people. Now, here's what you do. You determine to get to him. You determine to get to him. You keep a positive confession. It is well. It's well. Well, hey, I don't see that. When I look in your life, it doesn't look well to me. Oh, it's well. Faith tells me it's well. It's coming around the corner. It's all going to change. It may be what it is now, but it's not going to stay that way. Because yet, yet, he's going to move. Yet, he's going to answer prayer. Yet, he's going to show up on the scene. Then you just stand on the promise of God. Take it to him. Lord, here's the promise that you'd restore me. The enemy took something, but I'm not going to let him have it. I'm going to get it back. And then you practice shameless persistence. I'm not going to give up until it's retrieved, until it's restored. Can you imagine that woman seeing her little boy come out of that room, walking, whole, healed, resurrected from the dead? No wonder she bowed down to the ground. This was a great miracle. But she saw what her faith told her would be before it ever was. Amen. How many of you need some restoration in your life? Do you? Amen. Doc, I'm going to believe it for you. God's going to restore you. I'm going to believe it for you. The day's going to come. You're going to walk in here out of that wheelchair. I believe God for it, Doc. I believe God for it. I believe God for it. He's a restorer. He's a restorer. Amen. Let's stand together, can we? <clears throat> say with me, get your blessing back. Now let's say it like we mean it. Get your blessing back. Lord wants Frank to give a testimony. It, may, it, it scares me when he comes walking up here. I feel like he's going to... No, no. Frank, go ahead. Uh, son, I don't know if uh, too many of you know much about my life, but I've been through a lot of miracles that he's talking about today. A few years ago, I had lost totally... My left eye was totally blind because of a fungus. The doctor said I'd never see again. said I'd... Uh, wouldn't able to be able to have that eye. They were going to take it out. And I stood on the Word of God like he was saying today. I've got 20-20 vision in that eye today. Praise God. They, they didn't do the surgery that they said they was going to have to do. He said he was going to have to do a cornea transplant. They didn't do that. God just kept healing my eye every day. And every day that doctor came in and gave me a negative confession, I would say, no, my God is a healer. I'm a heal. In the name of Jesus, I don't receive that. And he, every day he'd tell me that. 
Well, a week later, seven days later, I walked out of the hospital. I couldn't see still, but he said my eye was healing itself. And so I just stood on the word, and three months later, I got my vision totally back. Six, about four years later, I got a, something else in this other eye. I was partial blind. It was like a, um, the doctor said it was like a, a nerve damage to my eye. And I couldn't hardly see anything out of that eye. It happened on a Friday night, Saturday night. Sunday, I was supposed to have care. I had care in my house. I was a care leader. I couldn't even read what I was supposed to out of my, for my lesson. So I had to close one eye and read. And to that day, I just kept believing God for healing too. The doctor said, well, I'll just have to live with it. I went to a specialist here in town. He said, you have to live with it. It won't get any better. It won't ever be any healed more than what it is now. I just said, well, I'm not going to receive that. It's done it before. I'm going to stand on the word. About uh, three months later, the doctor said, well, it looks like it's healing itself. You're getting your vision back. I don't understand. He said, I don't understand. It's, it's been a year now. I've got 20-20 vision back in that eye. Actually, the vision in this eye is better than it was originally when I started wearing glasses. So praise God. He is the healer. That's good. Amen. You see, restoration is incremental. It's gradual. It's a process that God sees you through to completion. So thank God for restoration. Well, this has been good. I enjoy that. That's good. How many of you have had a restoration in your life? Well, he's a restorer. He's a restorer. Don't be discouraged if you're just warm now and not totally resurrected because he'll stretch himself over you again. And then he'll stretch himself over you again. And then he'll touch you again until it's your whole. And I believe that. Well, praise God. Steve, can you come to your guitar up here? Amen. Uh, we're going to be sending you something in the mail about care. We're, um, we're looking at uh, the results from last week, and uh, we'll send you something in the mail letting you know about care ministry. Of course, we're going to be announcing it. Next Sunday is Labor Day Sunday. I need you. Come to church, unless you're going out of town, because we're going to be down a lot. Uh, so if you can make it, come on. And uh, because everybody count. Oh, is that two weeks from now? Somebody told me it was next Sunday. Then we'll see all of you next Sunday. See, I shouldn't make announcements. I don't even know what I'm talking about. All right. We're going to count to three, and we're just going to shout, restored. All right? And I want you to shout with me like you know it's coming if it's not already there. Are you ready? One, two, three. Amen.